Greetings, and welcome to the Continental Drift. I'm Andy Valver. Well, the drift is back after an unusually long and busy summer. I hope you all had a lovely time. I had a house full of relatives and friends and played cabana boy and housekeeping for about four months. I'm looking forward to getting back to my real job as writer, comedian, and voiceover guy. But a lot has happened, and there is a lot going on. So let's get to it. The biggest news, of course, is who blew the pipes up? Seriously, someone blew up pipes carrying gas from Russia to the EU, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, although there's nothing in Nord Stream 2 yet. And although Russia had already cut off the gas supply to Germany, there was always the chance that maybe they could have reached a settlement and the gas would flow again to Germany. But that is now impossible. Meaning, it's going to be a cold winter in Germany and other parts of Europe. But the bigger question, of course, is who? Who did it? Who stands to benefit from destroying Russia's pipelines? Well, Ukraine for one. They've got another pipeline going right through Ukraine. Other countries that supply gas? I don't know about you, but I am investing in gas stocks. Elsewhere, the war in Ukraine continues. The good news if there can ever be anything good about a war, is that it is going badly for Vlad the Great Displacer. A couple weeks ago, we all heard about the queen. Bless her cotton socks, she passed away. A nation mourns a woman who really was a presence for most of the last century. Lord knows she had to put up with a soap opera of a family, but she managed it all with quiet grace and dignity. Another item that was big news this week anyway, is that Europe took another hard turn to the right. Italy has voted in their first female prime minister, Giorgia Meloni, who has formed a coalition with Matteo Silvini, another right-wing nutjob, and that old clown Silvio Berlusconi, who just last week said that the EU should ease up on sanctions on his murderous pal Vladimir Putin. He quickly walked those comments back for fear of jeopardizing the election. In any case, voters in Italy gave their support to the right-wing Brothers of Italy, a party that has its roots in Italy's fascist past. Historically, their roots date back to the National Fascist Party, which existed from 1921 to 1943 and was home to Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. After that came the Republican Fascist Party from 1943 to 45, and then the Italian Social Movement from 1945 to 1995. Anyway, let's just say the winners of the election espouse all the positions of any hard-right party, whether it be Orban in Hungary or the Polish Law and Justice Party. They are anti-immigrant, soft Eurosceptics, and opposed to gay rights of any kind. And abortion, which, when you consider that Georgia Maloney is a woman, probably a Catholic, who has a child, and she is anti-choice. Interesting. What concerns me the most is that these positions are not European Union values. And even more worrisome is that it gives people permission to marginalize people who are different. One only has to look at the U.S. to see what is possible. Before the rise of Trump, there was certainly racism in the U.S. and anti-gay stuff and anti-immigrant sentiments. But what Trump did 
was he gave permission to people to be actively nasty to all these people. And I'm afraid that this is going to happen in Italy, too. In another lurch to the right, during the summer, Sweden voted in a hard-right government. Sweden Democrats, a party founded in the 1980s by far-right extremists and the center-right moderates, combined to secure 176 seats in a parliament, while the left-wing parties were left with a minority of 173. Needless to say, there are elements in the Swedish left that want nothing to do with the extreme right. Somehow, they're all going to have to figure out how to get along. But the bigger question, for me anyway, is what is it about the far right that entices voters? What do they offer that is so palatable? Why are people turning to these odious people? I think part of it is that older people feel their country is losing its character, becoming more mixed, more multiculti. A lot of people live in fear of crime, too. Sweden's murder rate has risen a lot recently. So while a lot of people might not say it aloud, that they want the immigrants gone, they want their old-fashioned values back, and they want a Christian white country, uh-oh, did I say that out loud? The world is changing, and a lot of folks don't want their world to change. But change is inevitable. And when you destabilize parts of the world, where do you think the ordinary folks are going to go? Yes, they're going to head north, where it is safe, where there is clean water, jobs, health care, and relative safety for their families. Okay, enough about the right wing. Time will tell how they will govern. In a piece from Euronews about digital quality of life in Europe, a Dutch VPN company, Surfshark, ranked 117 countries on their digital quality of life based on an index that looks at factors such as internet affordability, security, and quality. It turns out that Denmark has the best digital quality of life in Europe. Israel was ranked first globally, while Denmark, Germany, France, and Sweden made up the rest of the top five. Estonia came in 10th. The internet is free there, and all of government is run on the internet, including voting. I'm just saying. This was an interesting piece also making the news. The number of Russian executives and oligarchs who have died since the war in Ukraine began keeps growing. The most recent death is Ivan Pechorin, a top manager at the Corporation for the Development of the Far East and the Arctic. He was found dead in Vladivostok after allegedly falling off his luxury yacht and drowning in the Sea of Japan. Add to that the head of Russian oil company Lukoil, who apparently fell out of a sixth-floor hospital window. Authorities blamed it on smoking as they found a pack of cigarettes next to the body. Well, you know what they say, smoking kills. That's at least eight executives. Oh, and there was another one who fell out of a window. Defenestration. That's old-school KGB stuff. Anyway, at least eight executives who have died this year. And what they all had in common was they complained about the war in Ukraine. Apparently, little Vladimir doesn't like criticism. And finally, here's a piece from Euronews. Apparently, political satire is alive and well. Libre Expression is a Euro-Mediterranean center whose aim, according to their website, is to defend freedom of expression and political satire in an age of censorship and profit-oriented media moguls.
They just announced their winners of this year's political satire cartoons. I can't describe them adequately in this medium, but they are wonderful, and you can check them out by going to euronews.com and searching for The Dying Art of Political Satire, winners of the 2022 Libex Cartoon Competition. That's it for this week. Thanks for giving me some of your precious time. We'll see you again next week. I'm Andy Valver, and this is The Continental Drift.